They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many times demons had gone into him, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them into go into, go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into him, into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gerasenes asked Jesus to come to leave them because they were overcome with fear. When, so he got into the boat and left. The man from whom demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. We thank you for the ways in which you speak to us through your word today. And God, we want to be open to hearing from you whatever you want to say to us this morning through this passage, through these words, through this account with Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, and minister to us through your holy word we ask in your name amen so i wonder as you hear those words what you're expecting and what you're hoping from this sermon maybe you're hoping that i'm going to stand here and tell you of the times where i have seen uh, actual exorcisms i have seen demons cast out of people and maybe you want to hear those stories and you want to know what happened maybe uh, you're expecting me to just talk generally about the demonic and angels and demons and possession uh, maybe it's something that you really want to hear more about uh, maybe you want to hear about what kind of how paul understands uh, uh, the demonic because he, he writes extensively about it in uh, Ephesians particularly, and in other places we could do an exegesis of that, and, and why this passage links, it, links in with that, and all those different things. Maybe you want to know my, what my personal view is on, on demon possession, and all those kind of things, and, uh, and whether we, we could talk about the difference between oppression and possession. Uh, we could talk about the fact that it's physically impossible for a follower of Jesus, a genuine follower of Jesus, to be possessed. It's physically not possible, uh, because if you have Christ in you, there's no room for anything else. Uh, Oppressed, maybe. Possessed, no. Uh, But we're not going to talk about that, because this passage in Luke's gospel isn't about demons, nor is it about pigs. 
I mean, obviously they feature, and they feature fairly heavily, but this passage is not about demons. This is not Luke giving us a demon 101 lesson. (laughs) How to cast out demons, how to do exorcism. This is not an exorcism handbook given to the diocesan exorcist. This is not what this passage is about. This passage is not about demons. It's about something far more important than that. And in order to understand that, we need to understand its context. We need to understand its author. We need to understand what Luke is trying to do. We need to look at the chapters around it and see what he's doing. Because what he's doing is incredibly important for us as disciples of Jesus today. Incredibly important. So Luke is writing his gospel alongside writing Acts. So uh, Luke and Acts, it's thought, were generally written together as one piece and were separated later. So Luke Acts is one big long piece talking about Jesus, not only Jesus, who he is, but also the effects of followers of Jesus for for what difference Jesus has made. And so what you have to understand is that Luke's audience, Luke's desire for what he's writing, for who he's writing to, is that everybody understands who Jesus is and where he fits in God's covenant story, where he fits in the promises of God, where he fits in the story of God, where he fits as the Messiah, the one who has come to save. That's one of the things that Luke is wanting to do. One of the other things that Luke is wanting to do as a physician himself, as a doctor himself, is wanting to show that healing is far more than just physical uh, freedom from physical ailment. That healing is a much bigger issue here, a much bigger deal here. And Luke is really wanting to make sure that that message gets across, that the healing that Jesus offers is greater than what he as a doctor can offer. Uh, He's also wanting to show uh, that the message of Jesus, that the truth of Jesus uh, is not just for the Jewish people. It's very clear that Acts is written to that end uh, because Acts is about the message of Jesus spreading throughout all of the known world, uh, not just to the Jewish people, but also to, uh, to, to the people of Israel, but also to the Gentiles. That's why this particular story is chosen by Luke, because Luke uh, wants to make it clear that Jesus came for Gentiles as well as Jews. And this story makes that very clear because there are pigs here. Uh, and if this was a Jewish land that Jesus was walking in, there wouldn't be pigs there. <laughs> because they were considered unclean. And that the demoniac, the man there, is sleeping in the tombs. If he had any Jewish background at all, he would not be seen anywhere near that place. So Jesus is giving this, uh, Luke is writing this story, choosing this story out of all the wealth of stories he could have had, because what Luke is doing is he is going around, getting all those original eyewitness accounts of Jesus, writing them down and putting them together and compiling them in the Gospel of Luke and then uh, what happens afterwards in Acts. And as he's compiling that list, he's choosing the stories very carefully to get across that message that Jesus has come for the whole world, for Jews and Gentiles alike. And as he's going through his stories and listening to his eyewitness accounts and going through them again, he's thinking this one will be perfect because this proves that Jesus is talking to a Gentile in a Gentile land and he's doing something significant in his life. So he chooses very carefully this particular story. But we also, in order to understand what this passage is really about, we need to see it in its immediate context of the other stories that Luke has chosen around it. And when you do that, you realize this is not a passage about demons. What it's a passage about is Jesus's authority. The authority 
of Jesus over everything, as we've already been singing about this morning. You see, the chapter immediately before the beginning of this chapter, you have the calming of the storm. Which, as we know, shows Jesus' authority not over, only over the wind, but also over the waves. Jesus' authority over all creation. Jesus, the one who spoke that creation into being, has authority over it all. And Luke is making that very clear in the, in the, the, the story leading up to the one that we have here. That this is the story about Jesus' authority over the wind and the waves. Following on from this, we have the scene where Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter or to raise her from the dead. Uh, and you have the woman touching Jesus' cloak and being completely uh, healed as a result. And now those stories are designed to show Jesus' authority over sickness and then Jesus' authority ultimately over death as he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. So here we have this whole treatise here, this whole series of stories written by Luke to show that Jesus has ultimate authority over all. To show that he is the Lord, he is the Messiah, he is the chosen one, he is the one who was promised. And he has authority. And so this passage, these words, are about Jesus' authority over the spiritual forces of evil. Because what you find very clearly in this is that the demons, when they are speaking to Jesus, are begging him not to send them to the abyss, which means they know he can. They know he could. They know the authority that Jesus has. And they ask him not to do it. Now, I don't know why Jesus doesn't. I don't know why Jesus has mercy on these demons. The only conclusion I've been able to come to, and I'm not settled on this yet, is that A, first of all, that Jesus is very merciful in his nature and can't be anything other than mercy. And so that kind of sits right with me. But also, I believe wholeheartedly he knew their time was coming when that would happen. And so I trust whatever the reasons that Jesus knew what he was doing because he has authority. And what Luke is keen for all of his readers and hearers today to know is that Jesus has ultimate authority because of who he is. That's what Luke and Acts is all about, that Jesus has come in authority to save But as I said, he also wants people to know that healing goes far deeper than just physical healing. When you find the word healing often in scripture, uh, it it comes from a number of different root words and they all have different meanings. But the one you find here uh, in this particular instance when it said that the man was healed is the word sozo or soze, depending on which uh, tense you use. And that basically means uh, saved, set free, made whole. This is more than just him being healed of demon possession. There's a far deeper healing going on here. A healing that Luke knows even he can't offer. But the Jesus he worships can and does. There is a deeper, deeper level of healing going on in this story. As the man is set free. And when you look at the man, I, I, I find his story incredible. I don't know about you, but I find 
the transformation that takes place in this man's life. Absolutely remarkable. When we first meet him, uh, he's described in so many different ways by Luke. He's described as this man who essentially is a troubled soul. He is renowned for causing trouble. And a kind of trouble that the authorities and the people around him, despite all their best efforts, could not control him. He was insane. He was a madman. He was dangerous. He was a scary person to come across. Uh, Graham was speaking on this this morning, and he made the point very, very, I think, clearly that, that, that he was in chains, and he broke the chains. <laughs> like, this is a strong, violent man. Erratic. Unpredictable. We find that he's naked. He's sleeping in the tombs. And then he discovers Jesus. Or rather, Jesus encounters him. And there's this remarkable moment where obviously he's set free of the demons. And they're cast out. And the man that's been plagued by demons, the man who was really there before, is called out by Jesus. And his life is transformed and changed. And this man who was covered in shame in his nakedness is clothed. We don't read in this story where the clothes come from. I would not be surprised if Jesus took them off his own back. I really wouldn't. Or the disciples had some lying around that they didn't need anymore. But either way, I'm sure it's Jesus who made sure that the man was clothed. So we find him, this man who was naked and ashamed, suddenly clothed. Cloaked in righteousness, if you want to draw the analogy that Luke is trying to draw here. And then we find this man who was erratic sat at the feet of Jesus. Think of Mary, whose story you'll read about in a couple of chapters' time in this gospel. Sat at the feet of Jesus. This man who was erratic is suddenly at peace. You have a man who had chains around his ankles and who had tried through his whole life to find his own freedom but was unable to do it, set free in a moment by Jesus. Chain free, not just physically, but in every sense, free of chains. We know the world is searching for freedom and they think freedom is found in doing what you want. But we know it's not. Freedom is found in Jesus and what he has done and who he is for you. So this man who was naked and ashamed is now clothed. This man who was erratic is now at peace. This man who was seeking his own freedom has now found true freedom in Jesus. This is a story about transformation. The transformation that Jesus' authority brings to those who surrender to that authority, to those who recognize him for who he is, profess him as Lord and surrender to him. The change is remarkable. 
And then we come to this moment where the, the, the man just wants to follow Jesus everywhere he goes, as most people who encounter Jesus want to do. They want to follow him. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to follow him wherever he goes. But he is living in a place that still needs Jesus. Because the villagers reject Jesus and send him away. They basically say, get out of here. We don't want you here. But as we said a few weeks ago, the way that Jesus loves the world is by those who love him being in it. And I think that Jesus asks this man to stay, not for his sake, but for the sake of those who are still lost. For the sake of those who still haven't discovered who Jesus is. And Jesus is almost saying, if I can't be here physically because you're sending me away, I'm going to leave this deposit with you. And this deposit is this man whose life has been completely transformed by my presence. And through him you can know me. Through him you can see what I can do because there is nobody in that place who would have been able to deny what Jesus had done in that man's life. Nobody. Because the train, the transformation was so radical. And I believe, like the woman at the well in John 4, that many lives would have been changed through this man, through the testimony he had, but more than that, through Christ in him. There was no room for demons anymore because Christ was in him. The Spirit was in him. And his message to the man is not go and tell everything. It just says go and say what the Lord has done for you. The great things that God has done for you. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Transformed people, transform people. When your life is genuinely transformed by the person of Jesus, you can't help but ooze him out to the world around you. I said at the beginning that it's not possible for a genuine follower of Jesus to be possessed by the enemy. It's possible for someone who professes to follow Jesus, <laughs> to be filled. But those who genuinely know and follow Jesus, those who genuinely have surrendered to him as Lord and Savior, fully received him in their lives, are full of the Holy Spirit. There's no room for anything other than Jesus. We can still be oppressed. The enemy is still there. It still affects this world and it can still have an effect on us. But if we're here this morning and we profess Jesus as Lord, we have accepted him for who he is, we've invited his spirit into our lives, then he is all there's room for. I've said before that when it comes to the word possession, we often think of it in this context, don't we? Of someone being possessed by something evil. 
my prayer for myself and I hope for you remains the same. Holy Spirit, possess me with your presence. I want to be possessed by Jesus so much that he flows out in everything I do and say, as was the case for this man. This is not a story about demons. This is a story about the life-transforming power and authority of Jesus in a person's life. Do you recognize that authority? Are you surrendered to him fully? Every part of you, every part of your life, do you trust him enough to know that he has done and he will do great things in your life? And I just want to encourage and invite you to think about the order in which things happen for the demoniac. He encounters Jesus, recognizes Jesus for who he is. He's set free from whatever has been oppressing him. Then he sits at the feet of Jesus. Then he desires to follow closer to Jesus. Then Jesus sends him. Where are you in that? All of us are somewhere in that. And what I want to ask is whether anybody has rushed ahead of any of those phases. <laughs> because it can be far too easy to say, oh, I want to get out into the world and tell people about Jesus when we've not sat at his feet first. Because we can only share what we ourselves have received. Or maybe you have sat at the feet of Jesus and you know there's a desire in you to go. As we've been saying over recent weeks, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Maybe God is calling you to go and there's a reluctance in you to go. Maybe because it feels too overwhelming. Maybe because you don't think you're going to know what to say. And Jesus' call is go and tell of all the good things God has done for you. Or maybe a stage further back than that, that you feel stuck in your walk with Jesus. And if that's you, just turn your eyes to him again. Recognize who he is for you. Because he's the same Jesus for you as he was for this demoniac. He's the same Jesus. And what he can do in one person's life, he can do in yours too. If you surrender your yes and amen to him. He has done he is doing and he will do great things. Because he's a great God. And it's in his nature to have mercy 
on us, to clothe us in righteousness, to heal us, fully sozo heal us, save us, set us free, that we may find wholeness in him, life in him. There are some times when it feels really hard to know where to kind of land a message because there's so much in it. And that's where we trust the Holy Spirit to do what he's going to do. So I'm just going to invite you to to stand if you're able. If you're someone who's able, would you stand? And we're going to ask the Spirit to just reveal to us where we where we think we are on that journey. And maybe we're here this morning and, and we've never met Jesus before and we're trying to find our own freedom like the demonic, demoniac was. And we're just beginning to realise we can't do it. And for the first time you're looking at Jesus and you're seeing maybe he is who he says he is. And if that's you this morning, you simply just need to pray, Jesus, I believe in who you are. Maybe you know Jesus and you know you need to surrender something over to him to allow him to work in your life. Maybe there's an aspect of your life you haven't surrendered ever before or for a long time. Maybe you don't believe Jesus can do his healing work in that part of your life. Maybe you don't believe even he wants to, but he so does. And you're here this morning and you already know what that thing is. Just surrender it to him. Almost picture you giving it to him in some way and saying Jesus have your way in me maybe you're here this morning and you know you need to sit at his feet to work on that intimacy with Jesus to prioritize that relationship over all others to make time to spend with him. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a burning desire to go where Jesus is leading, to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And you're not sure what that means or what it looks like or where he's taking you, but you just have that desire to be wherever he's at. Maybe you're here this morning and you know you've received that call, but you're feeling daunted by the not knowing what to say or how to say it. Or how to answer people's questions. And Jesus is reminding you of the great things he's done and just to share with others what he's done for you.
maybe you're here this morning like a villager and you know who Jesus is, but you're just rejecting him. Just know that he still loves you anyway. And still wants relationship with you.